this is how valid is the validity. Making dirty movies for the country. <laughs> Gently used orbital launch vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Gently used launch orbital. Oh my god. Gigantic frame art angel print with hamburger thoughts. <laughs> what happened to my music? Well, it screwed up. Why? Well, because. Oh God! Tell me. I'm wh- trying to figure out why. You don't know why? No, actually, uh, because it wasn't. T- it didn't work because we went to a black screen. I hit main one. Then you can't touch anything because I I timed it out. I know it's timed out, but look, look though, look. Here's what. Here's your camera angle right here. Oh, because of the. <laughs> oh, are any of the cameras on? Well, yeah, because okay, we had a tech, we had technical difficulties. Okay, hold on. Well, the, the we got the power knocked it out. Yeah, the power got knocked out. I gotta put the. I forgot to turn the cameras back on. Oh, see, that was your job. You think I know? You think <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Again, it's the Andy Candy uh, takeover <laughs> hour again this week. Hey, you you think that? <clears throat> Jeez. Whatever, dude. I'm over it. This we is- can start over. <laughs> oh, God. Just turn it off. Just turn it off. Holy shit. Oh. You're not kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, we're back. We're good. Fired. <laughs> You're going to go on the best of Craigslist. <laughs> Slightly used producer. Well. It sounds bad. Yeah. This is usually way more smooth. Uh, is it, though? It is. <laughs> the Raiders are going to require fans to show proof of vaccination or or you can get a shot at the gate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a shot of what? I'm not. Uh, uh, the, whiskey? No, no, no. Spectators will be required to show proof of their vaccination status on a mobile app with Health Pass which is similar to Verify, if you guys have used that before uh, at this point, mm-hmm. which was my first time last week. The Raiders organization said that if they do so, they can attend games without wearing a face mask. So if you're vaccinated, this might be the only person or group that I've heard that says you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. Fans who opt out, fans who opt to get the vaccine shot before entering the stadium will have to wear a face mask due to the lag time for the vaccines to take full effect. And what if you don't want the shot, but you wear a mask? Are you allowed in? No. No, those are the, those are the only two ways. They're going to get this shit in everybody before it's all over with. I mean, it's just, or like you said earlier, it, it, they're just separating people more and more. So people are just going to, so non-backs or whatever you want to call it, live over here. And then the rest of the combination lives over there. Anyway, look at this. We got Nick Ross and Jeff Black here on the couch. I'm not sure how that son of a bitch is still standing. I don't know how that thing's got legs on it. It's, you know, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe. But then you came in here, and I'm like, oh, obviously you've you eat a lot of eggs. That's obvious. You know, we need to move that thing downstairs after the show if you guys. Yeah, I got a couple of things yeah. I need moved around the house. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't doing anything. Matter of fact, this garage. I'd like to get it to that back of the house. Um, we do not like to actually lift heavy things. Yes, no. Just look like we do. <laughs> I it's mean, a beauty pageant is what it really is for males. I mean, you guys, I mean, it's just, if I, you know, 
I don't need more shit to feel bad about myself. Okay. So you two guys, maybe, you know, dress down a little bit next time. That's okay. Maybe not. Maybe, I'm sorry. maybe wear some baggy clothes or something. <laughs> God damn. I mean, you know, it's just, I'm happy my girlfriend isn't here. You know, <laughs> I am. I really am. It would have been disappointing to know that I would have had to leave the house until these guys left. Does she know production? Maybe we got started on time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she does. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, man. All right. Seriously. Seriously. Shot. Um, I mean, that's... Where's that? Going, hit the bro. button. Maybe you got to hit the... Here. Uh, oh, the cheers and jeers. So, so, who wants to start first? Because both of you have interesting stories. No, no, the backstories. So, who wants to go first? Who's older? Jeff. Uh, I'm H. the oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. So let, let's start. Let's start with you. Okay. Well... Just let's Thanks. let's talk a little bit about the backstory. Well, I mean, you know, because this is not something that, uh, you know, I didn't know exactly what what we were going to be talking about. So I, I I did a little bit of research and 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 stuff. But I mean, I kind of was hoping that you guys would just kind of tell the backstories and we can talk because the health thing and you know we can go into all kinds of different stuff. But I think mm-hmm. people need to know who you guys are. And so let's start there. So yeah, I know you go, you go. So would you like me to break this down like we're on a tender date for the first time or? Would you like me to get like real intimate and go like further back, like the genesis of <laughs> where it all started? I mean, I'm trying to figure out where you want to begin so this if, day. If, let's let's go like this. I know you had some health issues growing up. <clears throat> yes, sir. Right. So what were those things? Okay. So I was born with a rare brittle bone disease known as osteogenesis imperfecta. It actually affects only 25,000 people in the U.S. Um, there's different types of it. It's a collagen deficiency. So when you all break your bone, your bone heals back stronger more cement. When mine does, when I break a bone and I heal back, I heal back weaker there. So I'm more prone to break a bone there. Um, when I was eight, I was very competitive kid and I was double dog dared to go down a hill on a skateboard. At which point I was like, well, I'm going to do this. So <laughs> you seeing, have to. yeah, you, you double dog dare when you're eight, yeah. you're doing it. You know, this is 1989. <laughs> Like, you know, like, yeah, you stand by me, man. You got to do it. So um, go down this hill and I I hit something. And next thing I know, like I just was up in the air and then the massive impact on my right leg, I blacked out, rolled a little bit. And I came to with this guy with ice on my head and my neck. And it was weird because like I could look up and I could see like my knee rotated in left and my ankle rotated completely out. Oh, right. God, no, thank you. And I just like lay back down, but it was, it was very interesting. Like, cause I've had to go through counseling over this stuff to work through just cause there was a lot to it. Um, I can tell you how the asphalt still smelt to this day and how hot that was. Cause it was a June day on a, on a Tennessee day out in Knoxville. And I just remember being on that pavement for 45 minutes before the ambulance got there. Did you find out about, is that when you found out about what what was going on with you, or did you know at a younger age? I that? knew growing up. Growing up, and so, so, but your parents just let you at that. I mean, they let you live as a kid. They let you be a kid. Yeah, like I couldn't do soccer or football, but I was into baseball. I love playing catcher. I was able to do like more of the non-contact stuff, and um, yeah, my parents were very much like, "Hey, he's got to live a little bit, learn the yeah. boundaries to play within." And I think my youngest son actually has my bone disease, and it's very much the same way with him. Holy, so it, it's it's general, it's um, it passes on through. It can be. My oldest does not have it, and he's not a carrier, but my youngest does, and he has a carrier because I oh, had wow. all tested for it. So, but, are you are you more prone to break a bone, or just when you do, it 
it doesn't heal correctly. I'm more prone prone to break a bone. Gotcha. Yep. Is it, was it that first? Did this picture have anything to do with it? So that picture there was after I had my bone stretcher uh, surgery. Okay. So is this um, post just think about that that term bone stretcher. Oh yeah, stretcher. So, so have you yeah. guys ever seen the halos that people Jeez. get on their necks, like from a car accident? Yeah. So they put that on my lower leg, and uh, the doctor was kind of like. I, I almost felt like I was like his like Frankenstein project <laughs> because like it just some of the shit never doesn't make sense. When I go back and look on it as an adult, um, he put 27 spokes through my leg on that lower part. When you, if you see that picture, it's the left lower uh, tip fib. And what it did was these spokes kept my bone where the machine, I would turn these screws every six hours and it would keep my bone constantly broken for 12 weeks. And slowly stretch it over time. All right, back up for a second. Let's let's talk about this for a second one more time. I, I got to make sure I understand what you're saying. You had to turn, you had to turn the screw that kept your bone broke. Yep. So they were like these oh, dial shit. devices. Oh, it gets sweeter because like the skin. These are things like that they didn't like think about before the surgery. The skin would grow up on all 27 spokes. Mm. So oh I would have to lay, so I would have to put alcohol on the skin and lance it off the spokes. And I'm doing this at 10 years old. Like, you know, for 12 weeks. Like, and then I had them actually break my leg. I wrote about this. This was something I was telling Nick about was the moment where like things like really changed for me. So like up until this point, you know, so I did the I broke the right leg. Um, they rotted it. That leg turned out to be two and a half inches longer. Then they said, okay, well. You know, the left leg screwed up, so we'll just break that one and put a rod in there and make it better. So I, my, my parents were like, you know what? We both said, hey, that was the easier thing, or it was to take the rod out and redo that surgery. Yeah, no, and thank you. So they just went with the better, well, we'll make both the rods strong, or both the legs strong with these rods. And uh, what he didn't account for is that my leg would keep growing while that surgery was recovering in a body cast, because I had to wear a body cast back-to-back for 12 weeks. And so I got done. It was an inch shorter. So then that's when he proposed the Lizarov surgery and that's when I went underneath it. And then about eight weeks out into the surgery, I was declared, um, it was looking like it was behind. So he started turning this. He's like, we got to do this radical turn. Me and my mom were just like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, you don't cause context, you're not understanding what right. they're going to do. And about the third turn, I was like, Hey, something doesn't feel right. And all I remember is on 12, it snapped. And by then I had people laying on me because I was fighting them tooth and nail. But it was a really, it was that moment. I, I had that happen. That kind of, I just, you know, checked out after that. But then I recovered that surgery in my very first step. I took a physical therapy. That leg broke again. Oh, my God. So back to the drawing board. So it was a long battle of 18 surgeries. And finally, after six years, I was able to walk again after they told me I wouldn't with AIDS or anything. So... The, the, when you say you changed, is, you know, is that when you started taking your body to another place? Is that what the muscle is to help with? In your mind, was that part of that or was it just getting in shape was just. Uh, so for me at that point, when that happened, when I was 10. So um, if you go back to that picture that was just up, that was right before I walked in my freshman year of high school. And you can see how the legs are different there. Mm -hmm. I was 95 pounds in this picture. And over the course of high school, I ended up walking out of high school at 170 pounds because I got into bodybuilding not too long right after this picture. I had been working out, but when I say I changed, 
that was the moment I realized like the only way I was going to get through this was to go to a place that meant I had to like disconnect from who I was. Like up until that point, I was a very happy go lucky kid. I used to talk to a bunch of people. Uh, my mom will tell used to tell people stories. I never just shut up. And then after that, it was like it, it turned me very inward. And I started getting, I would dare say, um, it made me like very addicted to the the pain and the suffering because that's what I really embraced going through that. I mean, physical therapy was three hours a day, Monday through Friday. When I had that Lizavaz surgery, they would shut the pull down and make me do pull therapy with chlorine with open wounds. So, I mean, that's like what they, you know, I mean, like I endured a lot. Are these people to, now in jail? No. Are they arrested? <laughs> this is the 19, late 80s, 90s. That's why I tell people like, so you're, you know, physical therapy was like kind of brand new. Dealing with a person with OI was, uh, it's like, you know, I mean, you just can't really fault it. So when you go back now and look at what, what they did to you, how much of that was not the correct thing? All of it? Oh. 80% of it? I mean- what do they do now? Did they not understand it because not very many people dealt with this or have, have this? Is that correct? It's different now because the world's interconnected. You can get on Facebook. There's groups for OI. My general manager, Thera, her son actually has type eight, which is one of the rarest. There's only like three of them in existence with this form. If he sneezes, his ribs can break. Like that's how. Yeah, I've heard. That's yeah, what I've heard of. Yeah, yep. the, yeah. So it varies in distinction. But, you know, back then you just there was no research, no literature, it doesn't affect enough people for big pharma to give it a cure. Yeah. So again, I'm, I ask, I'm sure you've looked at the things that w were done to you. Yeah. How much of that would still go today? Well, if you break your leg, you still get rotted because Keegan, my youngest has broken his legs Yeah. and they've been rotted two times over each. And so, so it's, it's, I mean, I, to me, it's like, you can't, you can't think about it all the time, right? I mean, you have to learn how to just, it's just part of, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's been an interesting mind screw bodybuilding because I have to shove that out of my head when I'm doing ridiculous amount of weight to be able to continue to pursue this art, this goal I see. Right. So that, and that's, I guess that's the last thing I'll put in this part of the story here is that prone, prone to break it, when you're talking about the amount of weight on the bone, okay, right. that's all. That's the same as it getting hit from an angle and breaking it, right? It's it's all the same in that regard. Correct. So you just so that's where I'm asking it too is is in your is the muscle that you b have built. I mean, does that protect the bone at all? Yeah, it actually has. Because if you see some of the X-rays, I've had some recent stuff done. I waited 20 years before I went back to the doctors just because I didn't want to know what I had done these last 20 <laughs> years from bodybuilding. Yeah, I went in at 20 and they're like, you shouldn't do these things. And I was like, well, Ronnie Coleman does these things and so does Dorian and I want to be them. So I'm going to do them. And I did. And I went back and it, I didn't do as much damage as I thought. You know, I was like, okay, I have a few years left in the tank, but I'm going to leave like an offensive lineman. Yeah. But um, yeah. Well, and when you say damage, what are they, what can they see? Is it like the tiny fractures that you've occurred over time, or so it's like my butt, my bone looks like a sponge, oh. and it just kind of like just starts fading away. So osteogenesis perfecta, you guys could think of as osteoporosis, except we're genetic, where osteoporosis happens uh, over time. That makes sense. Yep, that's how you can like usually put it. People can immediately relate it when you say it like that. They're like, ah. Oh. It's genetic, just the bone does not turn over and just over time. Now, but now osteoporosis is something that Big Pharma has tackled. 
Right, but they what, have yet to figure out how that they could do it, like starting at like the younger age. They have certain treatments, like where they say they could help create like stronger, more fortified bone, but none of it really holds up too far on a lot of the research. So, what about what about uh, stem cell? Anything with stem cell? No, not really. I no. mean, I think a lot of it. <clears throat> what was really big and key for me. Um, and I think I was kind of meant to kind of go down this road mm -hmm. when it comes to bodybuilding was my mom when I was, it was 1993, she was very, very paranoid. I was going to be short because well, I turned out to be short anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know, like heaven forbid Jeffrey be short. So she found this endocrinologist who was willing to write prescription for human growth hormone. So I was using 192 amino acid protropin in 1993 and if you look at the pictures of me, you can start seeing my body changing. And I think that that I got into bodybuilding while using the growth hormone. Oh, wow. Okay. When I started working out and I was doing it all the way through high school. I mean, I still do it to this day. My parents, you know, just insurance and so forth. Um, and I think that that's what kind of gave me a little bit of the catalyst to kind of like fortify and, and start getting some of that ground. And I've talked about it openly along with other things I've done and, and, you know, it's, it's, if anything's been out there, it's been cool to see some of the literature come out that I've said about some of the stuff that I've thought over, you know, the 30 years I've used it. So, I mean, some, some things, I guess in your, in your case, and I mean, Nick, you're kind of in the same ball game and I kind of want to, I kind of want to stop there because, and, and kind of get your up your, like your story up to that point in your life. Cause you guys kind of met somewhere on this, on this path. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what, where were you at as a kid? I mean, what, what was your, what, what, how did you get to where you got to in this yeah, as I'll, a young age? To kind of preframe all of, uh, to where I got today. Um, yeah, I was born into to poverty. You know, I come from the dirt. I come from a place in Pennsylvania you've never heard of. Pennsylvania is what we call it uh, on the side of mountains. So I grew up on a, uh, about a 60 acre horse farm with about 20, 25 horses. And I, I worked my ass off since I was about six years old on a horse farm. Very small, very tiny family. I, I promise you some child labor laws were definitely broken. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what I figured out was I was a very hyperactive kid. Um, my mom had me when she was 18. And my father was never around. And I was just uh, you know a very hyperactive kid on a farm. And I quickly found out if I would go play sports, I wouldn't have to work. All right. And yeah. so I could go to practice. I could go to games. So I'd play sports my whole entire life until about the age of 16. I got in a car and I was going to the mall back when you still went to malls. Right. And uh, we, I'll, uh, we were actually getting tuxedos for a fashion show for the high school. And um, I was a really good athlete. I had dreams and aspirations of going to play for University of Michigan and donning that helmet. I was an ice hockey player my whole entire life, which is growing up in winter sports and uh, on a way to the mall. Another 16-year-old was driving, one of my friends at the time, and he pulled across uh, a double-lane highway where traffic was moving at 65 miles an hour. And we got T-boned right where I was sitting. And I was the only person hurt in the accident. I had to be ripped out of the, the vehicle with jaws of life. That's how bang badly I was mangled within the accident. I don't remember any of it. Broke six ribs, um, had uh, some internal bleeding issues, had head trauma, and that was pretty much the beginning of a 16-year period of my life where I really ran some unhealthy frameworks. I uh, didn't know how to cope with the pain, the things that had been taken away from me at the time, my dreams, my aspirations, being a 16-year-old, kind of living in a rural area. You know, you go out as high school kids and drink 
in the cornfields or at the quarries and skipping school and just kind of got in this lifestyle and mixed in with the wrong kids after this car accident because um, I didn't have a lot of direction. And I literally ran frameworks for 16 years from the age of 16 to the age of 32. Uh, I would call it living a rock and roll lifestyle. I was in the music business for 15 years. Lived in Hollywood, Vegas, Miami, Nashville, Cincinnati, Dallas, Indianapolis, just constantly moving. Can you clarify the, the term framework, how you use it? Yeah, framework is a systemized process that gets you a consistent result. So there's positive frameworks that you run in your life, and there's also negative. There's a framework to be an alcoholic, just a degenerate piece of shit, a bad father, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a great businessman. Businesses have frameworks. So there's frameworks for everything. It's the structure in which you, you're using to process habits, behaviors, capabilities, um, and it's modeled. You model frameworks. A lot of our frameworks and our decision-making processes are made when we're four, five, and six years old from modeling our parents. Because I grew up in an abusive household, because I grew up in generations of uh, basically Irish alcoholics on both sides of my family, um, that's what I saw. So when stress was applied to my life, I modeled the behaviors that I saw, and I didn't know any different. You know, I met Jeff uh, at the same time I was in a car accident. My mom had actually married into um, like a biker family, right? And my mom, probably like eight or nine months after my accident, got in a horrific motorcycle accident, shattered. My mom's uh, at the time was like 5'11", and rode horses her whole entire life and just destroyed this whole entire leg. My mom has rods. Her whole one foot has 60 screws in it. Uh, and then one year later, almost to the day, got in another motorcycle accident and crushed this whole entire Oh, my life. God. All right. And I watched um, my mom be resuscitated back to life multiple times from blood loss. Uh, the fact that she's even here today is a miracle. So at the same time I was going through this depression and all these things, I didn't know how to handle. I was self-medicating. My mom was, was, she wasn't home. There was no one at the house from 16 to 18. Uh, she was living with her, what then became her husband, and she was laying in bed. I mean, she was laid up for two years. Uh, we didn't know if she was going to walk again either. She is now. She still rides, and she's an incredible woman. But uh, those are where I started placing those frameworks because I didn't know how to deal with the pain at that time in my life. And I ran those same frameworks, saying yes to every opportunity, always going out, Tocto Tuesday, Sunday fun days, bachelor parties. I mean, you name it. If there's a reason to go out, I was going out. And I lived in cities where there was always something to do. And I was always moving. And just by the time like people got sick of me, I'd go to move to the next place because my job at the time would uh, pay for my move and give me a raise every time. So I was like, <laughs> well, let's go on to the next city. Um. And I, you know, as your metabolism slows and you're continuing eating out and continuing drinking, it was, it was pretty normal for me to drink a bottle of Jameson, a uh, half a bottle of Jameson a night. Um, you know, I drank pretty much, I could probably in the, in those 12 years, you know, out of the year, I maybe didn't drink five or six days a year. Right. Right. Um, just constantly going out. So I started getting healthy, started gaining weight. People started making comments at work and, you know, starting to have certain insecurities about how I was feeling and how I was looking in the mirror. And on March 23rd of 2016, that month was kind of crazy for me. The first week of March 2016, I got the flu for the first time in my life and literally was the worst sickness of my life. I then 
The week after that, the second week of March, I had four wisdom teeth at the age of 32 surgically removed. The following week, I had this lump in my throat and it wouldn't go away. And I had smoked a pack of reds for like 16 years. Actually, at this point, I had quit smoking cigarettes. But I feared I had this lump wouldn't go away and like this negative talk track. And you're like, man, I wonder if this is right. tumor or something in my throat and won't go away. And so I had health insurance for all those years. Never went to a doctor because in your 20s, you don't think about your mortality and you think you're invincible. So I go to like a general doctor. I didn't even have a general doctor. I just looked one up and, and went to go see her. And she's like, no, it's just like you were sick. It's infection. You just had things. It just needs some antibiotics. You're fine. And uh, I went home, picked up the prescription, went home. I probably started playing Madden, drinking some Jameson, was up late. I remember I got in a shower probably around midnight and um, I took a shower, dried myself off. And as I was driving myself off, I felt a lump in my left testicle, like I just drying myself off. And uh, did it hurt? Well, let me get to that. Okay. I'm going to get to that. And so what do you do? You WebMD it. Yeah. Oh, my right? God. Worst yeah. mistake ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or the best mistake ever. Right. So uh, I, I got on my phone, WebMD'd it, and it said when you touch what was a lump and it does not hurt, yeah. it's most likely cancer or a benign tumor. If it does hurt, it could just be something else going on, UTI, just another issue. It didn't hurt. And it was, you know, uh, like if this is my testicle going this way, it was going through on both sides. I could feel a tumor Holy on both shit. sides of it. And uh, it was the sickest feeling uh, of my life, of my absolute life. I didn't sleep. And this was a Thursday. So I wake up Friday morning. Soon as the sun comes up, I call a network called Urology Associates here in Nashville. It's a network of 30 urologists. And obviously I'm calling them on a Friday. I'm on the phone with the receptionist crying like, hey, I need an appointment. She's like, everyone's booked. I'm like, I think I have cancer. She's like, oh my God, let me see what I could do. She calls me back. Dr. Balsante, literally, I don't know, in Hermitage, yeah. uh, Urology Associates, he um, he forewent his lunch to see me. God bless that man for that. So I go down there. It's like a half hour drive. You know, I'd never even been in a situation like this. Like I'm going into this urologist. Uh, I'm pulling my pants down. I'm like super vulnerable and in my head, this guy's like examining me and I'm looking at him and he looks up and I knew yep. he didn't say anything. Yep. He just looked at me and I knew, uh, and he's like, Hey man, we need to, uh, we need to get this ultrasounded. I'm like, okay, where am I going? He's like over here. And I'm just, the tears are coming down, lay on this bed. This nurse comes over, you pull your testicle out. She's with the ultrasound. I'm just like bawling. And they're like, all right, we got the images. It's Friday around 4 or 5 p.m. We're going to send the images to an oncologist. They'll call you on Monday. So, you know, if you don't live in Nashville, it was about a half hour drive. So from Hermitage to East Nashville, I drove home. By the time I walked into my apartment, my phone rang. And it was Dr. Balsante. I know this now. They're not supposed to, like ethically, they're not supposed to call you and tell you that you have cancer. <sighs> That's what happened. And he said, uh, you have surgery on Monday. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you just don't have really time to think. Yep. Um, so first thing I did is I called my mom. I love her unconditionally. It's my ride or die. I mean, we, everything life together. And, um, she scrambled, my grandmother scrambled down who my grandmother, uh, was my disciplinary in my life. She was my father. 
and they came. I immediately called my friends. My friends showed up with 24 packs and bottles of Jameson. And, you know, I don't, I don't really remember that weekend at all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to think about it. The, the hardest thing for me to process in that moment, which is like, it was so fucked up to think about that there was something inside of me that my habits and my behaviors could have created and it wants to fucking kill me. That's, that was really hard to accept. That's still the hardest thing is I still haven't really processed that. Um, and from there I go through, go to the hospital. Um, this really one, one thing that just like really fucked with me as well is as I'm getting ready for surgery. Uh, the nurse comes up name, uh, date of birth, which testicle are we removing left one? They would sign your arm. Next nurse would come name, date of birth, what testicle are we moving? Sign left one, sign your left arm. And they would initial this happened seven times up my arm. Like by the third time you're like, God, this is fucking torture, right? Let's just get this on with surgery happens. Um, then you probably remember, cause I was like, at this point in my life, I was like trying to get kicked out of the stage while you guys were performing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for three months, I didn't know. I thought that was kind of it. Honestly, at the time I would say I was willfully blind. Like I didn't want to know I was in so much pain. If you don't know, they don't remove your testicle through your scrotum. They remove it through your abdomen. And it was an incredibly invasive surgery um, and extremely painful. I mean, still to this day, I have nerve damage in that area. That's just funky. And um, so for three months, man, I was like, I got some Percocets. I'm having fun. I don't have to work that much. I was coming down and seeing you guys and getting all kinds of trouble because I, I once again, and I, I've been talking about this more lately. What happened was I ran those frameworks that 16-year-old kid ran after that accident. I responded 16 years later and acting like that same exact person, just not wanting to face that in which I had to face, yeah. right? And I'm self-medicating, self-medicating. And then finally, the oncologist, uh, um, um, the urologist calls me. He's like, hey, man, have you talked to your oncologist? I'm like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, man, you got to go, you got to go get chemo. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you need to make an appointment. So luckily, once again, Nashville, one of the best medical towns, cities in America, we have Sarah, Sarah Cannon Cancer Institute here, and that's where I went. And this is when it really, my mortality really um, st became a crystal clear. Is this, is this picture right here beginning of chemo, or is this within like a couple weeks in? Or what? That is the last day. That's your last they day. just removed the port out of my chest. There's this big purple thing there. They put this big hard piece of plastic in your chest um, because I was getting so much chemo. They can't put it in a vein because it will destroy the vein. It will just erode the vein away. So they put um, put this uh, port, this hard piece of plastic, and then, a, and then a tube inside your chest and then connect it into an artery or something in your neck. <laughs> mm. And I could, I don't know how or why, but I could taste the medical drugs, man. Like there's a certain smell that will make me so nauseous, like saline to this day. I cannot smell saline. It drives me crazy. Mm. Um, so my, so I go, I meet Dr. Hemphill there. They lay out my, uh, my chemo plan. And so chemo has a spectrum of low to heavy. And he goes, look, um, my tumor uh, and by the way, they don't know if it's cancer until they remove it. They don't, they can't biopsy 
brain cancer or testicular cancer. And the theory behind testicular cancer is, is that there's a very high probability that it'll spread to the second one if they do that. So they're like, hey, we will remove this thing. And it might not be cancer, it might be benign tumor, but either way, it's got to come out. Um, so they, they biopsy it. And my tumor was made up of three types of cancer cells. Two of them were extremely rare and highly aggressive forms of cancer. Jesus, God. And it was attached to the lymphatic system of my body, um, which is the drainage system for all your organs. And the main concern was that if one little tumor breaks off, it's in all of my organs. If it's all in all of my organs, my, my survival rate goes into single digits. And then the plan from there is they cut you from stem to stern and remove all your lymph nodes, right? It's like one of the craziest surgeries you would have to go through and people go through it. Um, I was told that if I did not find the tumor when I found the tumor and I did not take action, that I, my survivability rate would have been single digit and within two months. And that's one thing that haunts me till this day. Like what the fuck would I have been doing in those two months? You would have been doing the same shit you did every fucking day. You would have been unconsequential. You would have been unremembered. You would have had no impact whatsoever. And that is really one of my driving forces till this day. So, so okay, and this is, I'm not sure how or when to talk about this, but I think it's a good juncture. I'd say both of you, both of you are personal trainers at this point or just, just you, Jeff? Uh, just me. Okay, so, and, and you see people all the time probably, and you get a lot of questions about how come you, you, know, you get to this point. Some people, I would imagine, just want to be bodybuilders. Most people that want to change their life, do you find, and I'll, I'll kind of throw this towards you, is it something like this or some sort of thing that has to happen to them? Is that where people change like you guys have changed your bodies and mindsets? I mean, is, you know what I'm saying? Because is it, is that a common thread in, in people turning their life around? Is, is these, you know, going through these dark moments, not, 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 uh, not like I'm overweight and I can't stand myself in the mirror, but I mean, some, some really shitty moments, like they almost die, right? Is that, yeah, is, it, is it born in trauma? Is that the common thread uh, kind of thing, right? I'll be honest with you. The ones who succeed like Nick has and others, yes, there's usually a defining moment of pain where the pain is so much and the mortality is suddenly redefined that yes, they come through on the other side. And that could be anything. That could be someone for high blood pressure. Yeah. And it could be someone just wanting to just stop drinking. But there's usually a moment a spark a catalyst for the ones who make it to the other side outside the, you know, you're right. The ones who can say, I want to lose 30 pounds. They yeah. never do. It's the ones who get their nuts kicked in that end up doing it. So are, are, is it almost in, in this, in this country, in this world, I guess right now where obesity, for instance, is such a big, it's 54% of Americans, two thirds of Americans are overweight. Yeah. 54% are, are, are obese, which is 21, 25% body fat, right? We're not talking about like extreme obesity, but yeah, 54% of Americans post-COVID now. Yeah, it's like walk through a mall. Well, you know, like eight out of 10 people look unhealthy, sick. So is it almost worse that that there's this steady, a person that doesn't necessarily have one, that do, isn't extreme uh, drinker or extreme eater or just, the, but the steady, you know, the steady person that will never change his habits because they're not ever going to go through this. They're going to get to 60 or whatever. And they're just never going to change complacency I mean, kills, bro. Right. That's and, and so I guess, you know, 
before we get to the other half of your your guys' story, you know, I, I think this is something that's important because people, everybody deals with it. You know, is there a way to know that you're overweight or you could feel better? Because that's the, you know, for both of you guys, but I mean, when you look at your pictures specifically too, I mean, you changed the, the underneath that everything else that was there is this you can everybody has this ability yeah it's already locked inside of you it's already yeah. there i call it your highest potential i actually talk about this topic more than i talk about any other topic because when as a sick man you only want one thing you want to survive and what cancer taught me is holy shit when you want to survive and you're willing to do anything to survive and then you do you overcome the hardest thing you've ever come uh, had to overcome in your life then when you get out of that and why can't you apply that same skill set, the same mindset to everything in your life? And you can, right? Show me how you do one thing. I'll show you how to do every, how you do everything. You and get, I believe that. We got but your you, video of that actually. You don't have to, you do not have to go through a near death experience, uh, a divorce, bankruptcy, alcoholism, a death in the family, be cheated on, um, OD. You don't have to go through these chaotic moments in your life to, to inspire change. Change is just a decision. And the decision is made, as Jeff said earlier, change happens when the, per, when the current state of pain is greater than the perceived pain of change. Meaning you have to be hurting so fucking bad that you're finally willing to make the change. Most people are already hurting somewhere that way, but it's compartmentalized. They haven't unpacked it yet to make space for their desires, right? You have to make the space first, but people are taught like, oh, you know, don't go into the pain. No, you actually have to go into the pain. You have to sit in the pain because you need to be able to pull the potential out of the pain. That's when you make the space. So the greatest lesson cancer ever taught me is this one thing. When I was in the chemo ward, I only wanted one thing. I wanted to survive. I would have done anything to survive. Anything. So when I got better, I said to myself, Nick, if you were willing to do anything to survive, why can't you apply that to everything in your life? There's no excuse, guys. There's none. Show me how you do one thing, I'll show you how you do everything. Like, you guys want this. You talk about it. You're here. Urgency is important, but you have to be obsessed with chasing greatness. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually posted something about that today. I don't deal well when people, like, if I'm out in public, will make some statement about my size. It's because I remember the skinny kid. I just remember Jeff who just wanted to put on a Cardinals jersey again and get back underneath and play catchers. So everything that I had to do, like Nick, it's just because you see this one thing, like this possibility, and you just, that's all you focus on. And you once you know that you can accomplish with extreme focus that one single thing, your ability to run the score up on anything else is just unmatched. So what, what, then what about health? What, what what is it about health and people it seems it seems so easy to to be like why why don't we why doesn't everybody want to look and feel 
as good as they possibly can. You know, especially when you look at 20 year old, 20 some year olds or, or 15, 16, 17 year olds that are 300 pounds, you know, and, and they can't breathe or they can't walk and they can't, you know, I, there is, there is a, a, an issue if you take away that pain that you're talking about, because like for me, you know, I like to, I like to work out and I, you know, and I know where I'm at with it. I'm not unhappy. I've unpacked shit. I've been unpacking shit for years. You know, it, it, I'm cool with that part, but there's this thing where I don't know what it feels like to be what you guys feel, right? So there's that problem. I don't know what it feels like to be crushed and going through chemo or have this this issue. So I don't know what that feels like. And I also don't know what it feels like to be, to look like uh, Hawk Hogan, right? And so I'm in this middle ground where I'm not necessarily unhappy with how I look. And this is how I think a lot of people feel because when they, how many people do you get and talk to all the time that are, that are just like, you know, in that room, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to feel better. I want to do this. And they last a month, right? Is there, is, what is that thing to make a, that a person doesn't have to be unhappy or go through hard times or, but, but they know they need to feel better. They know they'd like to feel better. They'd like to see what it felt like once in their life to, to see what was underneath of the skin and all the shit. Is there a way to, for people hey, to really understand how to do that? I think it's a, like what he, what Jeff said earlier. As a, it's an art, right? You guys are kind of performing an art in a way, and most people that are are good at art, most people that are good at anything, are kind of fucked up, and they got some trauma, and, and they've anybody I think that any, this is where it kind of comes from me. Anybody that's really good at something, they have some pain somewhere, and I think you got to have some pain yeah. somewhere to to light a fire. You know, I, I think we got soft. I think people got soft. I mean, I think it was a good thing that I was called a cripple in high school. I think it was a good thing that I was picked on a little bit, that I was shown a little bit of an obstacle, that I was rubbed on, that I was taught that life wasn't so easy. And I learned that from my bone disease, so then it was very simple to me. Well, okay, I got bullied. I then got suspended. I walked down an aisle in Kroger. I stumbled on a Flex magazine and went, holy shit. Paul DeMaio was on a big motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm just like, if I could be like him, no one will fuck with me. And then after that, it, I was gone. I never looked back. I The next day, I was like tuna out of, you know, out of a can that my mom drained for me and put it in a Ziploc bag. Because I was like, I'm going to do it. And she was like, okay, we'll just do it. You know, and then it became like, it. that was my monster. You know, and I tell people like, I think anyone's capable of doing it, but we're not taught. We're just taught, it's okay. You can accept that loss. Did you give yeah. your best? Well, f- what the fuck is your best? I mean, like, what are you up against? Do you know what I mean? Like, so where are you guys at with when you hear this stuff about overweight and obese people, uh, you know, making it, trying to make it a PSA to tell people it's okay to be, I mean, these these arguments are going, going on going, every they're day. They're looking the same way they do because the body positivity movement got a lot of people really sick. Let's just be honest. I mean, like. COVID is associated with the majority of the people dropping dead from that have obesity-related implications. Comorbidities. Yeah. I Hypertension, mean, obesity, uh, blood diabetes. Blood sugar problems. Yes. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And it's just like, we're not telling anybody to like go fix the, you know, like go for a walk, get vitamin D. Hey, don't go eat fast food. You need to stop drinking because it makes your gut leaky and that causes low-grade inflammation. There's none of this education out there. What it is is everyone's just in the whole lane of like, oh, well, you should be happy with how you look. Yeah, but how do you feel? 
and we don't correlate that. It's all about the image, but there's no connection to the feeling. So if you want to just be, well, you know, I'm just me and I feel comfortable. Cool. Be you. Right. But no one's correlating it to the health and how you should feel. So incremental, pragmatic incrementalism is a term I used to, I never understood what it meant, but it used to love to say it just because I really couldn't spell very well. Makes you sound smart. Truthfully. (laughs) But to me, where are your guys's, for you, and, and like you said, you went to eat in tuna. Was it that way? And, and, and we, we can go ahead and get, we'll go with your second part now and then get his second part. But, you know, he, he talks about eating tuna from seeing a magazine. At this point in time, you've gone through chemo and you're, and you're, and you're doing these things. Was it a switch for you to change these frameworks, meaning like it was all in immediately? Or was it something that was incremental for you over the, after chemo happened? The transformation was incremental. I actually speak about stacking wins daily. Incremental wins deposited make huge withdrawals over time. And that's sacrifice. You have to sacrifice instant gratification for long-term desires. If you are not doing that, the universe does not provide you, right? God, collective, you know, all the energy, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, So once the transformation started... I realized I had to stack wins daily, and I used a framework called the uh, Five Critical Tasks of Winning the Day. It's um, by Andy Frizzella, the owner of First Form. He has a podcast called um, The Real AF. And I got that from him like years ago, and I ran that for change. But going back to chemotherapy, there's a few big instances that happened that, that changed me instantaneously. My chemo, most people go to chemo like maybe once a week for an hour or a couple times a month for an hour. My chemo was five days a week, eight hours a day, uh, every other week for two months. So I literally walked in like punching a clock, lunch pail, hard hat, going to a chemo floor where there's, you know, about a hundred other chemo cancer patients and I'm looking at every day and I'm sitting in one chair and I, and I'm there for eight hours and I'm watching people wither away. I'm watching people, strong men over two months, just go down to basically skeletons bags hanging off of them, IVs. And, um, you know, I never, I could have not survived, but I never, I never let that creep into my head. Like, I, I just got to do this. I got to get through this and I'm going to be fine. And that was always my mentality, but I knew there's a lot of people around me that weren't fine. And that really bothered me because I felt like I had a duty and a responsibility to these people. I watched every single day that didn't have that hope. And that's one thing that all cancer survivors, you know, we we, we fight for the ones that didn't make it, you know, and here I am watching hundreds of people come in an eight hour period in one little chemo ward in one little hospital in one little city, like multiply that across the world. It's crazy. You know, no one, you know, no one really even talks about all the nine 11 people that got all got cancer. We're talking 10, 15,000 people from that building, the firefighters and the police and all the first responders, like just that alone is, is enough the existential weight of that to want to push me forward and make changes in my life. The second part was I couldn't, I had health insurance, but even with health insurance and deductible, I had like the shitty health insurance. It was like 15,000, $20,000. It was, it was nuts. Uh, my mom couldn't work. I was working every other week. I was still going to work through this, by the way, which is crazy. Um, and I had to do it because I couldn't, there's no other way I could afford to do this. And I, I didn't want to get crushed by medical debt. So my mom 
was like, hey, you got to help out the family. You're, you have to post a GoFundMe or something. And if you know me, hyper-competitive alpha male, I don't want to ask for help ever. I'll, like, I'll get this done myself. But for my family, I did it. And uh, that GoFundMe raised like $10,000 within almost 36 hours. When I watched that, the night I watched it happen, I, 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 I hit my knees that night and I made a promise that I will never break. I will never break this promise. I, I will kick anyone out of my life or remove anything that ever asked me to break this promise. And that promise was when that went down, it was harder for me to accept the gratitude and the generosity of others. I'm talking complete strangers, my high school principal who I made his life a complete living hell, the dude I got in a fight with on the bus when <laughs> I was like 14 and I haven't talked. Like people, uh, it changed me fundamentally in an instant. And this is why my message is, is you don't have to wait to these things happen. It's just a decision. It's just a choice. Yep. And you have two gifts that you're underselling every single day you wake up. You have a chance and you have a choice. What are you going to do with them? Right? And so that promise was, God, if you give me a second at bat at life, if you allow me to get through this, I promise you, I will figure out what my two to three gifts are and I will use them to serve others on my knees, praying to God. Really one of the first times, like really. And I went to Catholic school my whole life. Um, and that's a promise I won't break because up until that point, I broke promises to myself all the time. And then I broke promises to the other people. I didn't show up to the meeting. I, I made excuses why I wasn't here. I didn't follow through with this. I just fucking became sick of breaking promises, man. Especially to myself, to the man in the mirror, right? Because at that point, uh, I woke up. That that picture that Andy showed, it's only a few months where I had no hair. A few months after that, that um, I made a decision to find help and reach out and that's how I met Jeff originally. Um, I, I was 265 pounds, no hair, didn't even recognize the, the face staring back in the mirror. Complete imposter syndrome. And that, that was when the pain was so great that I was finally ready to make a change. If I, like putting down the bottle, uh, uh, going to the gym, the cardio, figuring out the meal plans, I couldn't afford a coach. I, I didn't have clothes to wear that I felt confident in. I didn't give a fuck. Here's one. That's uh, opening day, right, of uh, NFL, right? I think yeah. I took that picture. Who's that? That's me, man. That's Nick. Yeah, that's me. Son of a And bitch. how far were you in, in chemo in that? That is, that's the first week of that NFL season. So that's like first week of September of 2016. And they were playing the Browns, weren't they? Were they playing the Browns? Or, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. That's insane. I know I came up there and watched that game yeah. with you, but what's funny is 2016. Two months before that, I fractured my leg uh, squatting, and yeah, and right. still ended up uh, getting second in both my shows four weeks later. All right, so let's go here now. This is a great. This is great. This is one of the best weaved things. Uh, hence my name. Wow. Wow. We uh, went. The, we went there. Didn't uh, we? I, 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 I apologize. Right. I had to. I you might, uh, should we? Should we uh, run a sponsor real quick? Oh, yeah. We should probably do that. All right. <laughs> what, did I do something? No, I'm just saying. Just, Are you mad at me? No, I just I like these headphones and I want more of them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. It, nothing works. Yeah, I don't know why that's not working, dude. Well, I still love you. Let's do this one. I, think, I don't think anything works, Andy. I think you screwed everything up. I didn't do anything. I did that myself. I don't know. How, does anything work? Hit it, hit it again. I'm, hit, I was what? in studio mode. 
answers for how valid is the validity. Aurora Nutrascience True Liposomal Supplements Guidance Whiskey Look for Guidance Sony Mobile Car Audio Next Level Verdoliac Law Group Let us help you Maestro Headphones German Engineering You Can Hear Media Ninja Helping you understand how to use social media how valid is the validity? Wednesday nights, live on Facebook and YouTube, 7 Central, 8 Eastern, or download wherever you get your podcasts. Odds are, if you watch TV, you've seen plenty of ads for lawyers. It's usually a lawyer telling you how great they think they are. But at the Verdoliac Law Group, it's different. It's always about the client. In fact, all of us are actual clients, and we're here to proudly tell you how much the Verdoliac Law Group has done for us. What impresses me most is how much the Verdoliac Law Group believes in their clients. They only get fees if they win, and they use their own dollars to take cases to trial. Nine billion dollars, over 30,000 clients represented, and almost 60 years in business. That's a testament to their strength, knowledge, and success. In fact, call them with all your legal needs. Like the saying goes, if they've been around that long, they must know what they're doing. If you're injured in a car or truck accident, any work-related injury, or as a result of a medical error, call the Law Group, where it's always about the client. Injured Culver Doliac Law Group. Here we are, and uh, with uh, Jeff Black and and Nick Ross. How are you guys doing? All good. Yeah, I'm yeah, fun. Thank super you. Super good, man. Thanks. No problem. No problem. Um, did you check on the cakes? Is it good? Cakes is good. So I think we get to the point now where your guys' stories kind of start to meet, right? So let's get the little bit uh, the second half of this you you got the magazine you're, you're eating the tuna and all that stuff's going yeah. on um at some point in time you flipped into another level which was doing these bodybuilding shows and 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 getting into this competitive bodybuilding um what how did that i mean so you just wanted to be like that guy in the magazine completely life and all yeah yeah so like for me it was you know okay if i'm this way if i look this way then no one will mess me like kids had broke the guy who I ended up so um <laughs> from my whole freshman year, this one kid just just bullied the shit out of me. And he was the greatest catalyst because he just, you know, it was a lesson in patience because I literally endured it for eight months. Broken my locker and put tape like on my glasses that said crippled. So like when I put them on, you know, just shit like that. Yeah. But um one day he called me at Cripple as he went up to go do a math problem. I just jumped out of my desk, turned him and started hitting him in the face. And got broken up and then, you know, got suspended, found the magazine. But from that moment, man, I, I consumed every single thing. Uh, I got my mom to let me join a powerhouse gym where she would drop me off after school. Um, I, you know, kind of limp in there because I have, still have to wear a one-inch lift inside my shoe. Uh, would limp in there and then just over time, I got to know the bodybuilders. And, you know, they would see me in there and, and trying and they kind of took me underneath their wing so all during like my high school years, I would go in there and train with these guys after school. I would eat with them. I would get up early and join them for 4 a.m., 5 a.m. fast cardio before school. If they were doing contests, um, just kept sticking with it, man. I mean, it's my 25-year project. I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years. Not many people can say they've been doing anything for 25 yeah. years. So for me, it's more pride on that now. Um, but, you know, I got into, um, I decided to start competing 10 years. It took me 10 years to really build it up because that's how far I was behind. 
um, because of my bone disease. I went out there and I took fifth out of like 18 people in my first show. And I was the lightest guy in my class and was just like, Oh, but it was the first time that I could be competitive again. And I was hooked, you know? And, and I think they can relate with me on this. When you compete, everyone looks at it. It's just really just a male beauty pageant. Like it sucks to wear a banana hammock <laughs> and to like get all that fake tan on and they smell like yeah. shit. Like yeah. it sucks. You haven't showered in two days. And that yeah. is, I was telling my girlfriend this the other day. I was like, it, it's not that moment that I give a shit. Cause you're only on that stage for two to five minutes. It's the 16 weeks that led up to it. It's the day to day decisions, the process that I circle more W's every single day. Because if you don't, when you walk across that stage, your feelings get real hurt real fast when you know you didn't do all you could and someone comes and takes your lunch. And it was an area that I could be competitive in and an area that I could be judged fairly in because, you know, there's nothing greater to me than being uh, legally disabled and having, you know, in essence, an arm tied behind my back with a leg and I could still make people uh, look fat when I compete against them on stage because I'm willing to suffer more and diet harder than they're willing to diet. And, you know, it's an equal playing field. And I got into that uh, competing in 2006. It was at the same time I got into personal training part-time. I'd been working for the Department of Homeland Security. Um, I, I actually, after 9-11, decided to go work for the Transportation Security Administration. Yeah, that was me recently down in Chattanooga. That's recent. Yeah, oh. that was uh, three weeks ago. Well, almost four weeks ago. Well, the end of July, July 31st. All right, on, can we, let, let's sidebar something here real quick because both of you guys understand how this works. When you got men, um, or whatever the hell you guys call yourself, <laughs> whenever whenever you got <laughs> judging this, what are, what are they looking for? So like muscularity, <laughs> clarity of muscle, symmetry, how well you flow from top to bottom. So you can see if you look at that photo on the right, which is really my left leg, there's a difference between the legs. And so that knocks me down in the judging. So I always know I'm never going to win, but I do it out of the I do it out of pride for myself because at this point, I'm just shooting the middle finger at this bone disease and the longer I keep going, the more I'm running the score up on it. So it's a personal victory to me. So you're you're saying that the, the two muscles beside the knee Correct. that I didn't even know existed in in the human body uh, the teardrops, they're, they're, they're not together. Yeah. They're not side by side. So cinch yeah. that, that that's going to count against you and yep. you, can't, you can't, it's impossible to win at that point. Correct. No kidding. Yep. So this is kind of cool too, just to see the comparison of Jeff to these other guys. I mean, but you can see how your upper body's like just ridiculous compared to like, so do you think like the leg thing is usually the downfall that, that the judges are? Yep. It's yeah. flow and symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay, man. Like, you know, yeah. when I was younger, first got competing, I didn't understand it because I'm like, it's one body part. When I'm smoking these guys and they don't have any, they're missing like hamstrings, glutes, arms. And I'm like, how the hell are they beating me? And then I finally just had to put it in place was like, you know, I had this shift and, and the shift happened for me when I found out I had a son, a second son, and I had to go through the process of winning custody of him. But it was the idea of, you know, this all ha- is happening for me, not to me. And it was really around then. Cause up until that point in my life, everything had happened to uh, like to me, like, ah, oh, screw this. You know, I talked to something up in the heavens and it never applies back. So, you know, screw that. You're talking to me. 
And then I was, you know, this has all been to me. And then at around that age with Keegan, I was like, man, the only way this kid's ever going to get a dad he deserves if I start taking my life and turning it to the, hey, this happened for me. And it was that shift there when I, when I found out about him, he made me a better man and a better every single thing. But that was where I decided at that point, I wasn't going to worry about how I placed. I was going to worry about, could I look myself in the face when I walked across that stage knowing that that was the best me I could have done for those weeks I gave. And that was the only question I asked myself that I have to answer. And I knew that when I walked across stage, I knew I was going to be second in all those classes. I knew at the moment it happened, but my question was to myself, did I do everything I could to win in that moment? And the answer was yes. So I walked out happy as could be. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So Nick, Nick, now you go into, you guys meet here. Yeah. So I uh, owned a gym, iron house strength and conditioning. It's here in Hermitage, Tennessee, right outside Nashville. Um, a friend of ours who I had worked with for a little bit, she introduced Nick to me. Um, I'll let him tell that story. Yeah. Um, and I just remember the first time I met him, I was like, I looked him up and down. I was like, and he started talking. I was like, man, I was just sitting there thinking like, this kid's actually got some potential. Like, cause you could look at some people and they're just genetically like, you could look at them and be like, damn, you know, if you actually really go far with this, but I could tell he was eager. Like, you know what I mean? And, and when you train people for as long as I have, because at this point I've been doing it 10 years, 11 years. So I'm just like, I, I can feel people's energy. I can tell he wants to do it. And he was like bright eyed, bushy tailed, like just wanted to know and know and know. And, and there's one thing that like is, I will say about Nick, which most people, when you get to know him, you'll, you'll understand it. But his number one strength is competitiveness. So he loves more than anything to give him a challenge. And that was the framework that I used with him as a coach was the challenging, you know, like, where do you really want to go with this? Where, how far do you really want to take it? And I remember the first time I helped him get really lean. And I was like, do you see what? Cause I told him, I'm like, I think maybe you could see their competing. Cause when the six months he had started responding and I'm like, okay, like, you know, I'm running the offense that I run. He's accepting the coaching. He's going and training his ass off. He's asking the right questions. He's, you know, he's circling W's. And um, I was like, I'm going to put you through a cut. And he actually nailed it. And I was like, and he saw it. And then I think once he saw it, and there's no greater reward for me as a coach when people finally see something for themselves that they're like, oh my God, it makes them feel powerful. It makes, because they did that. It was their discipline, their habits their fortitude, their ability to say no, to create boundaries that allow them to get those wins. There's no greater wins than that, in my opinion. Yeah. So now you're there. Now, at that point in time, I mean, was there was there much that you guys went through to get to that before you started competing? Because you compete, yeah, right? Yeah, so I just, let's make this, uh, I just want to point this out because this is always, you know, people look at us and they're like, well, I don't want to look like you guys. I don't want to do that. And when we're talking about nutrition and working out, cardio and fitness, there's only three types of goals, right? There's performance goals. So I'm a marathon runner. I'm a CrossFitter. You know, you're doing something performance related, an athlete. Then you have what's called aesthetic goals. This is going to be fat loss, weight loss. I want to, you know, I want to Instagram booty. I want to, I'm a, a hard gainer, so I want to gain lean muscle. And in that group of aesthetics, there's the extreme, which is bodybuilding, okay? Then on the other side, the third goal is going to be longevity and wellness goals, right? You, you don't want to look like an athlete and run like an athlete. You don't want to have extreme weight loss or these goals. You just want to live healthy. You want to live a holistic life, right? So 
when I first started, I just wanted to get healthy, which is going to be defined as a wellness and longevity goal. You want to live longer. You want to feel better, right? And along the way, I had weight to lose because if you're holding on to excess body fat for any good amount of time, you're going to have gut health issues, right? Most people don't even know that this is going on. And then you're also going to have hormonal dysregulation because you're holding on to excess body fat. Your estrogen is going to go up and your body wants always wants homeostasis. So then it's going to raise your testosterone. Well, if you're a woman, having all that extra testosterone is not good. And if you, and you can see this everywhere because it's called estrogen dominance, right? So you can see it just everywhere. And then uh, for guys, it's not good for us to have all that estrogen for obvious reasons either. Um, so I, I originally got into as I wanted to lose weight, feel healthy. I, I was no longer fitting in my pants. Like the guys at work were like, we can hear when you're walking, <laughs> right? Because your thighs are coming together. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget it. Uh, it drove me nuts for about four years until I finally did something about it. And then, so I originally had no intentions of, of bodybuilding. I, I didn't want to do it because I honestly, I had great fears about being judged at that point in my life. And so there's no like crazier thing you can do to face judgment than to basically go bury your body on a stage in front of, you know, 500 people and then get judged for it. Right. So, uh, along the way, as Jeff was saying, we did the cut and I, and I enjoyed it. And you have to be a bit of a, a masochist to this because can what, you, what does can that you, mean? Yeah, can you explain a cut? Yeah, so a cut is like you're cutting calories to be at a caloric deficit, so you're leaning out and increasing activity while you're oh, doing it. You made so me do you're that. Carving out, <laughs> basically saying like if it's say for example, I right now I'm like, hey Chris, I assume three thousand calories is what holds your weight. We're gonna go down to twenty two hundred calories. And you start carving out your deficit. And you way. start doing tons of cardio on top yeah. of it. So Activities. your legs feel like they're 500 pounds each. You're, you start, your, your mind gets foggy because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like 70% of your brain's power comes from carbohydrates, right? Yep. Uh, your mood is effective. You're, you're cranky. You're irritable. You know, all the hangry things. But you deal with that all day long. And then you go to sleep and you can't wait to wake up just to have breakfast. Right? You never used that term with me, but when I was working with you, that's what you had me doing. Yes. That was yeah, you caloric deficit. Yes. Fast cardio in the morning, all that. Yep. Combined with weight resistance training, right, uh, is is the holy trinity to. to I always thought this was desires. A, this was kind of cool picture here because what is that a year apart? No, that's six hundred and three days apart. Yep. Oh, okay. Eighteen months. The the one on the left is my very first show, and let me tell you, I worked my ass off in that left picture. It was going to be the greatest day of my life. It was only a few years removed from cancer. I could not wait to compete because I am hyper competitive alpha male because my dad wasn't in my life and I could never contribute and understand that if we want to unpack that. And so for the cut for 16 weeks, man, I'm Rocky every day. Like I'm Rocky and like with the beard and the snow, right? Like this is mental visualization. I knew and pictured how it was going to smell the lights, how my feet were going to feel. I knew everything about that moment. I had visualized it to come to win. And then, so my my class, you see, we're in board shorts. It's like it's like the pretty boy division. He does bodybuilding, which is like the real man sport. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, I I sh- and so our class is done by height. Okay, his class is yours done by weight. It's bum- done by weight. Okay. which sucks. So, our men's physique, what I compete in, is done by height. Uh, I'm literally like, I don't know. I'm like right between s- like six and a half and six one. I'm in this weird spot. So I go into my class, which is my heights class. I'm fucking ready to go. It's my first competition. I'm going to kick cancer's ass. I'm going to kick everyone's ass. Whoops. And. Yeah, that's the video. 
Not that one. That's not the picture, but. Yeah. Yeah, what is that one? Oh, that's from that, that was, I was trying to show the height on that one. Yes, yeah. So, but um, no one showed up. There was no one to compete with. There was no one in my height division. And I was crushed. Are you shitting me? Crushed. Yeah. No one showed up. And so uh, when you do bodybuilding, there's a morning show, which is like you're getting judged, right? And then the judges are doing all this. But then there's a night show where they come, they place everyone in comparisons, line you up first, second, third, uh, for whatever, how many people there are. And then they hand out and it's the ceremonies, all that stuff. So you have a morning show and a night show. You don't know until you officially went to the, the night show. You have to come back. And so after the morning show, we drive because it's a show local. We drive back to the house. And I told Jeff, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I could remember acting like basically a 13-year-old kid after losing a hockey game, right? And I was like, I'm fucking done. I'm never doing this again. This is a waste of my time. It's a waste of everything I did. And I could not. I, I was so fuming mad. And then he was like, you want to get Chick-fil-A? I'm like, yes. <laughs> God's chicken always calls the soul. <laughs> That's actually the video. Yeah, there. so play this, play this, because this is this is what happened. This is what happened. I had so no idea again, this was gonna happen. Here tonight, wanted no. to take a moment to recognize some of the real boy, I don't know. This is a tough one. The athletes who have really overcome a lot of stuff. And again, I talk about how much work it is to get to the stage and, and fighting for that first place spot. You know, here on NPC competitions, three years ago, this guy was fighting for his life. Um, wow. He was battling cancer and uh, didn't know what direction his life was going to go and didn't know he was going to make it, period. So to go from fighting for your life to... Yeah! This is his first ever competition, ladies and gentlemen, a cancer survivor, your winner, Nicholas Ross. And so, in that very second... It was the greatest day in my life. Yeah. I, I got a standing ovation from a room of like 500 people. But what you need to know about this, because this speaks to the character of Jeff. I did not know that was going to happen. Jeff knew the MC and texted him. I was like, hey, no one showed up. Here is my boy. Here's a story. We, we just make an, an announcement of this, right? Because, dude, I, I, that's a participation trophy. There was no one there. Right. I just got first place by default because I was the only person that showed up. You know, and then it completely reframed in that instant. Like, this medal was for me to like coming back from cancer. And that, I could go to the Olympia and win it years down the road. That trophy will be the most special of my whole entire life. Um, thank you for where, that. Where, where, There's a gift in that moment. Where do you go then if, if earned, man? What's that now? He earned it. No, I, right. Yeah. So, like, where do you go now that you, you're now you, you you've gone through this and you're and you're competing. You know you can do it. You know you can get to this point. What are the where are the places that you go to do this and get to? I don't. You know what I mean. Like, it, what what is it? Is it the Olympics? Is it what, what? Where do you go to do this sport? Yeah, the Super Bowl is the Olympia, not the Olympics, but the Olympia stage. Okay, uh, that's like the Holy Grail. That's where you know all the famous names of bodybuilding. You know, have been made. Um, I still want to get there. I never had that goal until this year um, when I did my second and third show. So I took 603 days off and I count. I know this because I counted down every day. I promise you on a, on a, on a white, a dry erase board. Um, he did. Cause I had the text messages, and countdowns <laughs> 402. I'm like, all right, well, so 600 days. and how many days between that? 603. And so I knew I had to put on size to compete. And so my second show which was 
June of this year, yeah. the f- June 12th of this year, um, I won my class and I placed second overall, which was incredible for my second show. I almost won the whole entire thing for my for men's physique. And by doing that, by placing second and winning my class, I qualified for junior nationals. And if and that's this picture here. And I'm second there. And if I would have got first place, I would have turned pro. Which okay. guy got first? The guy in the white and yellow shorts. I was still controversial about that one. The, yes, uh, the black dude to the to your right? No, I'm sorry. White and white, white and blue. White, white and blue. blue. I see this that is, dude, and this is what I'm saying. Like I don't understand. Does how much of this has to do with the judges at that point? It has to be it everything. Is. I mean, it's, it's everything. a subjective sport, right? You know. And what it is is you're just trying to find this diamond in the rough. Now, are you able to give us insight as far as do you get feedback? What what did he beat you on? Yeah, what? so you do get feedback. So just so you know, this is a this is not a comparison shot, right? So it's hard to compare, you know, all sure. of us in this shot. Uh, for me, uh, I was not dry enough in my lower back, right? So I just had some water back there that I, I didn't get rid of, and then ab density. So you can't see it in this shot, but when you say dry, you mean like holding water. Or do yeah, you, you want to be like paper thin, right? That's the whole yeah. entire idea. You're trying to get paper thin while keeping water in your muscles so you look big. So you're trying to look full and paper thin at the same time. There's a science to that. Mm-hmm. It's managing, at this point, it's managing stress and fatigue. And there was a lot going on because I know this prep detailed-wise, and that's what happens. Like, And that's when you get to it. But I still, like when you're looking at this physiques and you look at this stuff, it's so subjective you know, you have to put it in its place with yourself where you're just looking at it and going like, best I could do. Is there any, it, it, to me, this never, I never understood this part because I, I have known other bodybuilders who talk about this, you know, uh, the road to getting to the, to the competition, which just does not sound healthy at all. No, it's not. Okay. Bodybuilders are not healthy, right? Yeah. So your aesthetics, you're not going to have longevity goals because you're putting yourself in a really stressed state. We don't stay that lean and that thin and that ripped all year round. That's oh, a misconception, no. right? Um, you're you're only looking like that for maybe three or four days a week, you know, Fun. that lean. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Funny story. All my counselors have said that the reason I do bodybuilding is strictly tied to that that surgery. I had to break, keep my leg broken that I like seek that suffering. And so therefore prep's not bad for me. Like I, I like I, I Nick, I'm Nick better. Had, I'm a better person and more disciplined through everything in my life while I'm through a prep. It just yep. focuses you. It's a, yep. it's the same thing for people who prepare for marathons or uh, ultra marathons or ro- extreme rock climbers. Um, you know, David Goggins and all the crazy stuff that he does. Like all of that is just a mindset. Like everyone wants to be balanced in life. And that's why you have accepted mediocrity. Because you're balanced. Like, if you want to go somewhere great, you need to live on the edge. Yep. You need to push it to this extreme. Most people are afraid to get there, right? Or go there because they don't know it's actually possible. Uh, it's just unlocking what's already inside of you. You do have to be a bit, you know, like I said, um, a, a bit of a masochist to enjoy. Because, I, you know, what I've learned is I'm really not happy unless I'm suffering. And that's that's the God, the honest truth. I'm really not happy unless I'm pushing myself uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and going through and extracting the uh, the potential from it. You know, everyone wants to just, it's always instant gratification. This is why you ended up in this place that you're in. You're always saying yes to every cue that triggers a, a, a habit or a reaction out of you. 
And it just becomes about breaking that. And, and it doesn't take that long. Like you can invest one or two weeks and see the results in the mirror. And that's what clicked for me. I was like, holy shit, I can see the fruits of my labor in the mirror physically, you know, because a lot of, you know, your body has trauma that you see externally and you can, you can fix that and work on it and see in the mirror. A lot of times when you have internal pain right. or mental, or emotional pain, you're working on it, but you can't see. Let's talk about, let's talk about that you know, real quick, let's say somebody's listening. That's kind of in that middle ground of, I'm, I'm kind of all right, I, but I'd like to see some change. What, what, what are, what are some things that people can do that maybe don't want to push themselves very hard? I mean, what are the things that you tell people immediately? Like just start doing this, fix your sleep, manage your stress. So it's not even about food or any of that. I, the majority of people that I work with in coaching. Nick, Nick says something. So I actually, I coach people. Nick actually helps coaches ascertain certifications, helps people find coaches. Like he's very much like the guy out there who just networks and helps people find who they need in the coaching realm. Yeah. So just to be honest, I'm not a coach or a personal yeah. trainer. I help people become them. Right. Yep. And build their businesses. And he's amazing at, it. but he's also because network and his story has helped, you know, people find coaches who could, you know, benefit from that. In all honest to God's truth, man, everyone spends time following these diets. They all fail you. Every single one of them. When have any of you guys done a diet that has worked for you guys 24 days? Cool. What do you do on 20, day 25? You reward yourself. And by day 27, it's over. all gone. And it, usually the two big things, man, is just getting people to be like, hey, if you go to bed pretty consistently and start waking up pretty consistently... That will, like Nick said, get your body into homeostasis and your body will start giving you the hormones it needs to rest and recover. And then the other one is managing your stress because so, you're always stressed. You're always releasing the stress hormone cortisol and cortisol is driving up your blood glucose, which everyone's just walking around type two diabetics. So let me ask you this. Is it about, because this is something that Andy and I have been dealing with, you know, for the past 10 years, whatever, but. Is it about the amount of time or the, the time that you go to sleep? It is about the time you go to sleep more so than the amount. That's a bit. More about yeah. Now, uh, here's the deal, though. Now, if you sleep less than six hours, your insulin resistance climbs, which just means you're more prone to metabolic dysfunction, which would be high triglycerides, blood pressure, skewed lipid panels, etc. But it's more about keeping that pattern very, very consistent. And I did that recently in my prep. Nick will tell you, I mean, I was going to bed at six o'clock at night because my body was telling me to, I naturally kind of go to sleep early. But, um, and I was up at two 30 and I was just feeling the best I'd ever felt. Like my recovery was real maximized, but that's normal to me. And I tell people, I'm like, do what feels normal to you for your sleep pattern, but just keep it consistent. So if I go to bed at two 30 in the morning, as long as I do that and, and sleep, how many hours? Eight, seven, seven, seven to eight, eight. seven to eight. So as long as it's two thirty, every time, and I and I get up at, at, at you know no matter if I want to sleep in or not, but you get up in between seven or eight hours. That's the key. That's the key. More of the consistency from what I've seen. Right, but there's also actionable steps you can take that Jeff also teaches. Like, do you have blackout curtains? Because there's a circadian rhythm, right? You start seeing even though you're asleep, light's still passing through your eyelids. Your yep. brain still knows it's time to get up. So then the brain, by the way, the brain never shuts off, obviously. So that thing's still cranking and working. Um, there's things, you know, blue uh, before you go to bed, not having blue light from your cell phone in your eyes, keeping yeah. you up. There's uh, other things that you can do, breathing techniques that just help lower cortisol. 
cortisol is the the hormone that puts you in flight or flight, as he said. So then you're always basically uh, running from the tiger, right? You're always yeah. running from the liger, uh, from the lion. Liger. <laughs> Ligers. Uh, uh, do those chickens have talons? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but like like Nick said, man, that sympathetic nervous system that was designed for us to keep you to where you could run away from a lion. Well, the problem is think about how much life has evolved in the last 100 years, right? We went from a, a, a machine basically based thing, you know, we're building stuff, we're out there, we're hunting, we're gathering to we now sit down and we it, the stress of your job, your body doesn't understand the stress of a diet differently than the stress of your relationship. It just understands stress. So you throw a caloric deficit, a bunch of cardio, drinking, your job, your wife, your kid, your allostatic load, which is the amount of stress your body handles before it breaks and starts going chronic. And that's what you're seeing. Well, what's the big thing that's changed the last 20 years? Why everyone's getting sicker? People's inability to manage their stress. I mean, the moment we'll talk to coaches like he does, or I talk to clients, you know, the number one thing is like, I just don't know if I have the time. And I, I, like, you know, and they're already just frazzled and you're just like. Which is an external false belief, by the way. Yeah, exactly. You do. I, give me your, give me your, let me see what your day is. I guarantee you I can find you two hours that we can cut back from your schedule. And by the way, you're probably not even using a calendar because you think a calendar is a tyrant in your life. So don't tell me you don't, you have the, I don't have time because I know mothers, single moms with four kids. In multiple sports, running two businesses that figure it out at the age of forty-five, right? So you got the time. Let's get rid of that excuse, right? And excuses are a big part of what you guys have to deal with, especially coaches, right? I mean, you're dealing with excuses probably more than you're dealing with anything. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to hear, <laughs> and I, I get ragged on it sometimes by my clients. But I'm just like, man, you're talking to a guy that had to learn how to walk again. Yeah. So I, I never complained to Jeff about being in pain. Just think about this for a second. Just think about this for one second. This guy has brittle bone disease. And if you, if you know, you have, there's a movie called unbreakable. Does anyone remember that? Oh, movie? sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember Mr. Yeah. Glass? Yeah. Remember Mr. Glass played mm -hmm. by Samuel L. Jackson? He falls down the stairs, breaks his leg. Right. I mean, that's what he's dealing with. And then think about him strapped into a, a leg press machine or uh, quad leg extensions with weight on his legs. Like, how how are you ever going to make an excuse? This is why he was such a great coach to me, because I couldn't make excuses to him. I felt like a bitch, a coward. Yeah. Right? Like, how am I going to play the victim role when this guy, I'm watching him do it. Like, watches his, watching his leg days is it's one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen. It really is. Like think so about that. You, when you're working out, you're in pain. Yeah, man. I got to block it out. Like I block yeah. out, you know, I'm always like at a six or a seven all the time, but you know, some days when I'm, I mean, I broke my leg 2016, you know, as he's beat, as he's going through chemo, I actually was a couple of weeks out from a prep and I was on my seventh rep squatting. I had like 225 on the bar and I came up and my femur cracked all the way around my rod and I started falling and I caught it halfway and I sat there and my girlfriend who I was dating at the time, she's now my ex, she was like, I, she heard it over her drapey <sighs> headphones. I laid there for me. I was like, well, this is how this ends. And I was like, nah, fuck this. I crawled over to the leg press. I tried the leg press, but couldn't do it. So then I got on the step mill. And for the next four weeks, I jumped with my left leg only for an hour every single day. 
and that right leg just was broken, kicking. But I showed up in one second, both weeks back to back. So with a broken leg. Yep. And then uh, in 2018, what ten weeks out, I hairline fractured my my uh, right hip, and still cross stage. I remember I went down there, I ended up second call outs, and when I got off stage, like I collapsed backstage, like I just couldn't take the pain anymore. And I mean, that's just part of my reality. But to me, it's like that 25 year project. It's like, I'm not done because I'm still seeing something that I have yet to realize in any of these pictures. And that's what keeps me going. And it's like with Nick, once you kind of see that, you're like, man, how much further can I take it? How much more do I need to believe in myself? How much more can I get out of myself? Because I remember I told Nick about competing. He's like, all right, well, why should I do it? It's like, you'll learn something about yourself, Mm -hmm. something you never, ever knew about yourself but you'll learn one thing about yourself and every prep I've gone through. And I've gone through, I think 23 of them. Now I've always learned one new thing about myself that I could apply. And I honest to God believe that these preps, like when my business partner suddenly got diagnosed with cancer died within a year. And then I entered, you know, Nick knows this, you know, basically having to pay off a a fast note of 120 K plus. If I had gone through all these battle tested moments with, questions myself as something as simple as do I eat extra for today? Do I have an extra bite of that chicken? If I didn't have that discipline, I would never have had the discipline to be able to create businesses, to be able to do a lot of the things I've been fortunate enough to do, let alone lead the people I have to better health and fitness. It was those moments I had to challenge myself that I found out who I was really made of. And those were the things that's why I always tell everybody, if you really want to make a change like Nick did, and you're like, really do it a year from now. It's like what you do with a 401k. You'd be pretty damn impressed with what you built. And that, and that's a good point. Cause I mean, some people can do, you know, some people have things inside of them. They don't even realize they, they don't recognize they've done some good things before. And instead of, they only recognize the things that they don't or can't do, you know? Yeah. And, man. and, and right. And so do you have advice for people to understand how to recognize when they do something good that maybe necessarily they, because that to me seems like something you guys have to deal with too, because if you're dealing with excuses, you're the fact that you're dealing with somebody that's in front of you means they're, they're, they've, they're doing something good. They're just, they just aren't, they just can't see it, you know? Right. And you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I've, I dealt with that. I've dealt with that with like musicians or, or business people, you know, that, that have done good things, but they're in the woods and they can't see. Yeah. So it's, so that's called suffering, right? And when you're suffering, you're worrying about you. Okay. And the way to get rid of suffering is one, you have to establish you, everyone on walking on this face of this earth has two to three to four gifts. Some people are gifted and they have a bunch. Some have one in their Beyonce, right? And well, so I'm sure she has a lot, but when you have that just crazy natural gift, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone has these gifts based upon really what they've been through and the trauma that they've been through because it led them to their next decisions that they made. And you have to be able to get clarity of that. Clarity is so incredibly important. You have to get clarity of pain. What am I sick of? What do I want to run away from? What can I not tolerate anymore? Because as Jaco Willink says, you are what you tolerate. And then you also need clarity of possibility. Where do I want to be? Where do I want to go? How long is it going to take to get there? When I get there, what's the evidence criteria that I may be fulfilled? And then what you have to do is have a purpose bigger than yourself. That's how you get rid of suffering. And so you use, as I did, 
prayed that day and made a promise to God that I would use my few gifts to help and serve other people. And that's how I eventually started serving and helping him is because I knew some things in some sales and some business development just from being in the music business for 15 years. Um, and gyms don't have a lot of that information. They just don't have a lot of that sales background and how to get leads and how to lead nurture and how to put something in a sales process and increase the lifetime value of the business and customer acquisition and increasing your, your average client value, all of these things. Um, and I did. And since he had served me law of reciprocity kicks in, all right, now I feel indebted to help him. So I started serving him mm-hmm. slowly being able to wean myself out of the 15 year career where I was trading hours for dollars and miserable groundhog day every single day. And was able to get out of a dead-end job because I just made a decision to start helping other people. I didn't know where it was going to go. I had no idea um, what I would even be helping people with. But once again, I made a choice and a decision just to help. And the other issue is, is you live in the greatest age of information. Stop being willfully blind. Meaning you could have known, but you made a decision not to. You swept that under the rug. Well, guess what? That monster's still under the rug. And when you go address that monster mm, a year from now, maybe five, 10 years from now, now it's grown into even a bigger problem. It's no longer a monster, it's a, a hydra. And so when you go to cut off its head, seven more heads pop off, right? Yeah. Now we got a really big issue. And so look, you're gonna pay for your health. One way or another, you're gonna pay for your health. You're gonna invest in a coach, you're gonna get a personal trainer, you're gonna start taking your, your health and nutrition seriously. Or you're going to pay for it in insurances at doctors, doctor's fees, which, by the way, do nutritionists and dietitians work? Look around America. The answer is no. Your doctor's not going to help you with your nutrition because he had four days of education and his doctorate degree, and they're not going to help you with your hormones because we've all seen this. If you fall within this range as a guy or a female, this extremely low number or this extremely high number, you're fine. And insurance companies aren't going to pay for you to go get TRT or to get uh, for women to help with their hormonal dysregulations. And people don't know they have all these underlying issues that can just be corrected with nutrition, right? It sits at the apex of all of our problems, financially, mentally, spiritually, or physically, emotionally. And Stop being willfully blind. The resources are out there. The problem is, as Americans, our our knowledge of nutrition is the food pyramid we were taught in middle school. And that thing's all jacked off, okay? And then you don't get what you need from nutritionists and dietitians because you don't see them. They're not there with the accountability and coaching part. They're just giving you expert information, uh, which you can Google anywhere, basically, right? And so hiring and investing in a coach, as I did, as I, I tell everyone, find a coach. If you can't invest, that's another false belief. Because, I mean, are you always going to limit results to what's in your bank account? Do you think God gives you dreams based upon how big your bank account is? (laughs) You're never going to afford. So let's not use money as an excuse. If you really want it bad enough, you will find the money. Uh, And investing in a coach, that's where you're going to get the values and the beliefs you need to feel capable of changing your behavior so you can change your environment and change your body, right? But you have to make the investment. And here's the deal. If you invest big in yourself, guess what you finally do? When you invest big in yourself, you start paying to the small details you weren't paying attention to because now you're vested. People who pay, pay attention, right? So don't be willfully blind. You live in the greatest age of information ever. More content is created in one day than all of pre-written history combined. 
right? So the knowledge is out there. That's how I started as One well. One of the things I tell young men, well, and young women as well. It's my guy. But the young men really need him. to hear this more, I think, is that you should be a monster. You know, because everyone says, well, you should be harmless, virtuous. You shouldn't do anyone any harm. You should sheath your competitive instinct. Where are you at you right there in the win. process? You know, you, you don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be too out, assertive. You want to take a back yeah. seat yep. and all of that. It's like, no. So you're Wrong. not necessarily really... You should be a monster. An absolute monster. Fasting hard yet. Not, you're not like in show mode quite yet. I mean, you're you're training for that, but you're... No, you're you're getting down there now at that point. Yeah. But what is it like the first... Like when you really start to dehydrate and uh, really... Seven days out. Seven days? Okay. Yeah, like I shifted eight pounds off me in seven days. <laughs> you just drop stuff off. But, you know, to summarize what Nick was saying as a coach from my perspective, people spend more time attracting what they don't want rather than what they do. And, you know, I've, I've really understood that about people as I've talked to them, because when you really start talking to them, it's the whole, well, I can't do that because if I go out to eat, my husband might get mad if I pick the chicken and I'm like, but what does that have to do with anything? What like, the hell? but you hear these, these are honest to God, real things. Like, you know, the Nick's heard from people he works with, who he helps with all that stuff. You hear that people spend more time rather on the focusing on the can'ts. The won'ts, the why they can't do this, that, than they ever do anything else. Like, I'll go to teach them macros, and the first thing they'll be like, well, why can't you just give me a meal plan? Well, the meal plan is what's got you to me, because they don't work. So, why not find something that works? And right. You have to always go that, but yeah, that's my thoughts on it as a coach from that perspective. This has been a great conversation, fellas. I, I really have learned a lot, and it makes me, you know, want to start, and I think that you know, the, I'm a big secret guy, you know, and w which I hear a lot, you know, in, in my mind, sometimes the universe is in your head, right? Your universe is in your head. Mm -hmm. This idea that you can't have anything, you can have anything you want, essentially. It's just, do you want it? You know, and a lot of times I'll tell people like, listen, if you are doing something you don't want to do, then quit doing it, you know, whether it's a job or whatever the case is. But to, to listen to your guys' stories, I mean, that, this is what gets me sometimes because I even said it about myself in the music business. It's like, the guys that have made it, you know, the guys that have gotten to where I thought I wanted to be too, which, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but they all had, they all had some jacked up things happen to them. You know, there was so something that happened to them that just pushed them to a point where it's like, I'm not going to quit. I'm, this is all I'm going to do. It's, and, and it, and it makes a difference, you know? And, and my thing is, you know, and I don't know how you deal with it. Cause again, it goes back to the excuses. I mean, you guys have to deal with it. a lot of people though. Also, they don't even know what they want. Yeah. They don't have evidence criteria. Yeah. You know, the way I look at it is like this. Regardless, every day I wake up and I wake up, right? I'm alive. I get to choose how I greet the day. And that to me is something that I think most people don't take for granted. And I made a choice long ago that I'm going to choose to greet the day every day with the best work ethic I know possible for me because it just makes me happy. And I go from there. Just start doing these three things. Make your bed. Put the mm -hmm. shopping cart back in the shopping corral and yeah. wipe oh. the piss off the toilet seat. Even if you pissed on that toilet seat or not, wipe it up. Because when you leave, the next guy that goes in is going to think you pissed on that toilet. And what I'm talking about here is character. What yep. you do when no one else is looking. That's how character is defined. And that right there, those are, <laughs> those are three things that I started doing, right? And then it's just incremental wins. It's called the compounding pounding effect. Just start investing in yourself sacrifice instant gratification all right and the main way to sacrifice is work right that is that is our punishment as human beings that is our debt for our existence is work right 
That's how we create a better environment and a better reality. So if we want a better future, sacrifice instant gratification now for the betterment of your future. But you have to sacrifice. You will be rewarded. You will be. It's impossible not to be. Uh, it's, it's, and, and so I'll just end on this. Uh, is it skirting the system if now as a man I, I only sit down to pee? <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people come to my house and I hear a guy pissing in the, in the toilet and I can just, I see the droplets mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll stop there. I think <laughs> I'm like, well, now I've pissed Nick Ross, I better go back. Nick Ross, Jeff Black from Iron House, Strength and Conditioning. You guys check him out. And uh, man, thank you guys for coming. Yeah, this was great, by the way. This thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you man. Thank uh, you for we'll do it again. And next time we'll talk sports or something. Yeah, I love it. All right. All, all or Craigslist best. So here's the deal. He's a Cowboys fan and I'm a diehard Eagles fan. So we would have some good. We got two weeks every, every. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're, we're, we work with the, the I'll kick 360 guys, which is Hutton, John Hutton, yeah. and those guys. We need to get, we need to yeah. do. We'll get Hutton together. in here. Dude, they would love talking football with. Oh my God. Nick. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Uh, or we I could go to their to studio. Hutton. I've yeah. actually listened to Hutton back in the day. Oh dude. He's, they yeah, got, no. they got a thing called I'll, I'll kick 360. They're, they're, they're great. I mean, they they're great. share our show, and yep. we've had him on twice now, right? Yep, and he was on with Coach uh, Coach Mack a couple of weeks ago, which was just another interesting story, but not not like your guys' stories. But I know, can sit just there how he got... and look at film with him all day long and oh, just I, listen I to him it. be like, now you see, well, this is what's going to happen right here, and it, it happens. And it happens. Yeah. Well, it's not only that. It's <laughs> like, you know, you guys probably played Madden or if you played video games at all, right? Uh, dude, yeah. I have I probably have – 50,000 plus hours easily dedicated to Madden. <laughs> yeah. I'm not lying to you. I played in Madden challenges. I was ranked number one on Xbox ladder for no three way. years running. I'm, I can't make this up. I can't. Ask ask Andy. Yeah, he even he, had Twitch channel and everything. So yeah, let, he's a you know what? Let, let me, Madden maniac. Let me ask you this. I, I mean, I, let me ask you this. This is how. How do you guys feel about, this is what gets me sometimes about when you talk about survival, okay? This guy in Franklin Stays all night into a Walgreens, somehow in between the walls. Oh, nice! And, and when when the place closes, he kicks through the wall to get to the drugs. To the drugs. Yeah. Now, do you look at this guy as somebody that's just trying to survive, or are you looking at this guy as somebody that <laughs> knew what he wanted and got it done? Look, I tell people all the time, don't get out hustled by a crackhead. That's on you. <laughs> <laughs> I look at a different angle. So, um, if I go to a doctor and this is fact, my ex can back this up. I went in one time and was like, well, I would like to, um, I had an issue with getting my growth hormone released from the United States customs. So I went in to try to get a prescription for it. And the guy's like, well, I can't give you a prescription for this, but let me give you a prescription because you're all in all this pain. I walked out with 90 Percocets a month supply. I walked out with, um, Valium to chill me out from it. And he gave me 30 Oxycontins just to make sure on the days I couldn't. Wow. And that was with me looking the way I do and all that. So it makes me feel sad for some of those people because of what they might have been. So that's, that's, there is the biggest problem, like you were saying before, with the going into the doctors and stuff. My my girlfriend is from Columbia. She was a general practitioner there. She, you know, didn't come back when she moved here. She didn't go back to be a doctor here, but she just started doing functional medicine. Yeah. And, and, I did I did the the no gluten and did all this stuff and I, it's the best I've ever felt. Like I got to get back there. You know, I I I'm not a dr- I don't have to drink every day, but I have a really good time with it when I do. And that's know? what I do now. Yeah. Right. 
and but but I'm not where you're at in life. So I mean, I I need to get to. There's some things that I'm just I'm old enough now where I'm like I, it's not even as fun as it used to be, right? It's like I'm just doing it because it's it's freaking habit, right? I've just been doing social drinking. It's a framework. It's yes, it's mm-hmm. a it's a, and and when I listen to you say those things, I'm like God, this is where I'm at, you know, and but there is this no doubt in my mind because when she started with the gluten-free crap and all that you know i'm like oh you know like my dad you know he just did restrictive eating Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing and and then when i really felt better it was just like oh god okay yeah there's something to this and and you you know that but you're just like "Eh, it's bread i'll just not you know it whatever the case is and it's unbelievable the amount that a doctor just does not give a shit no it's because yeah. They only want to be experts in their field. You have to understand that. They why am I gonna go learn this other stuff when I'm I'm already making yeah. a lot of money doing this one thing? Yeah. And they weren't taught. Like when they come out of medical school, they they're they're going out with probably the best intentions. I'm gonna go help people. Because you know, you gotta remember, whenever you first start playing music, I'm gonna go turn and burn every fucking <laughs> yeah, town to the ground. That's right, that's right. And then they come out and go, Well, I have to have a receptionist, I have to have an office manager, I gotta pay taxes, I gotta have an account. I got to run a business. The only way I can succeed is if I see, like Nick likes to say, diagnose and adios. You get five minutes of me? Cool. All right. Well, yeah, all right yep. There you go. And that's really, that's the unfortunate problem that everyone has. Because the people that you need to be talking to, people don't want to talk to because they judge people like us thinking that we care. Where people like us be like, no, baby, come on, drink the Kool-Aid with us because this changed our lives. We know it'll change yours too. And I think if people... Planet Fitness created a whole gym industry built on the idea of intimidating people that people like us intimidate where we are the most happy when we see people beginning for their first day and like we'll go up to them and be like, hey, man, keep with it. Promise you keep winning. And, you know, that's one of the things we have with Iron House. But any person, if you ever see them fit, I promise you go up to them and have a conversation. They're going to want to help you. Yep. That much I can believe. I appreciate it. You got something else? Uh, I mean, I'm just going to leave it out at this, you know, because this was huge for me. How are my choices today going to make me feel tomorrow? And just really think about like, all right, maybe I should call it night yep. and go home. Yeah. Because I'm going to feel like shit all day tomorrow. And then I'm going to get nothing accomplished. And I'm going to order a bunch of pizza or the wings. And then I'm going to sit around and watch games all day. And then, you know, as the older you get, you know, going out on Saturday. Well, I felt like shit on Sunday, but then I also felt like shit on Monday. Yep. And then something was kind of off with my anxiety on Tuesday. And then I spent all Wednesday thinking about it. Oh shit! It's <laughs> it's five thirty on Friday, <laughs> and I got to go back out. And I got to go back out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a vicious. My cycle. God, it's a vicious cycle. You just you just listed off my last three weeks. <laughs> I did it for sixteen years. You know, I, well, I, I don't want to tell you how long I've been doing it. This is bad. Um, the music's only made it feel better. It's only made it feel better. Uh, 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 Jeff Black and Nick Ross, thank you guys thank very you. much. This is awesome. Thomas, I appreciate thank you guys. You. And and we got to talk about how you uh, how you figured out how to stop having drinks. We'll see you next time, <laughs> Andy. Thank you so much. Absolutely, buddy. And uh, we'll be back on the first. Uh, we're going to have Flip Hollander is going to be back to uh, uh, to talk to us about the Haitian president he was living oh he's oh he was nice yeah he was this guy was living and and working with the gang and and um he took that photo right yeah That's, he did and and uh and uh haitian and, and it was a haitian president that got shot right uh, yes it was and know. so anyway he's going to be here and he's going to actually tell us what was going on it's going to wow. be interesting I'm, I'm super excited anyway thank you guys so much and we'll see you next time on how valid is the validity now the rest of the story 
This is about another George Washington. He was named for the father of our country, but he was born almost a hundred years later. His birthplace was a military post, Fort Wayne, Indiana. His daddy was from Ireland, had fought on the other side during the American Revolution. At the war's end, he had moved his family to America, became an officer in the United States Army, named his first son George Washington. In 1819, this young George was appointed to the United States Military Academy. At West Point, he distinguished himself as a draftsman. Upon graduation, 2nd Lieutenant George Washington was assigned to topographical duty. George returned to West Point as a teacher, then was assigned to survey our international boundary with Canada. So gifted was this, this uh, other George Washington, so gifted was he that he was also assigned by our government to assist the location and the construction of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, and then three other railroads. Now, George resigned from the Army in 1833, then became a civilian engineer. He built railroad locomotives. And when the Western Railroad of Massachusetts wanted to lay track through the Berkshires between Springfield and Pittsfield, many engineers called the task impossible, said it couldn't be done. So they let George do it. And he did it. This George Washington's remarkable capacity for resolving the impossible problems of this difficult terrain attracted the attention of the Russians. In 1842, the Tsar asked George Washington to come to Russia to route a projected railroad between St. Petersburg and Moscow, and George went. This Russian railroad was to be 420 miles long, double track, and the Tsar wanted it finished in seven years. George finished it in six. This George Washington was so ahead of his time that he urged the adoption of narrow-gauge track years before America made its standard. In Russia, he constructed fortifications and docks and an iron bridge over the Neva River with such vision and dispatch that he was decorated by the emperor with the Order of St. Anne. Shortly thereafter, weakened from about with Asiatic cholera, plagued by heart trouble, he died. He was only 49. For the magnitude of his accomplishments, one might expect his name to be emblazoned across the pages of history, but it's not. This other George Washington is a forgotten man. It's his wife, you remember. His wife? His wife. And the reason you remember her and not him is an overshadowing coincidence of fate. You see, George had five sons. And one of those sons, James, became an artist. That artist painted a portrait of his mother. That's how come everybody knows her. The railroad-building genius that history forgot was Major George Washington Whistler. Forgotten because he was the artist Whistler's father. And now you know the rest of the story.